Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Welcome back, queens. We've got Katie Spada with us today. She's a registered dietitian and former athlete. She's the owner and founder of Spada Strong Nutrition, LLC, a nutrition coaching business focused on helping athletes and former athletes fuel for training and life after sport. She's currently a grad student at Northeastern University and will be completing her degree in nutrition with a concentration in sports and fitness. Katie competed as an elite-level synchronized swimmer on the national team and collegiate levels for 11 years. Katie founded Spada Strong Nutrition with the goal of helping athletes understand how to fuel their bodies properly, work through their body image issues, struggles, and develop a healthy relationship with food that supports their training as well as life after sport. Katie believes every athlete and former athlete deserves to feel good in their skin, fuel their body well, and enjoy the foods they eat guilt-free. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Yeah. So you have a love for working with specific population of former athletes, and we know this is an often yes. overlooked population. So tell us how you got interested in working with athletes after sport. Yeah, so it was really coming from my own experience as a former athlete. When I retired, became a dietitian, started in the clinical field, I started having conversations with teammates who were really struggling with a lot of the same things I had struggled with, but they didn't have the nutrition knowledge or the education background to kind of work through them. And so I just started chatting with them very informally, started an Instagram page posting to that and realized there was such a need for this. And in my own experience, I felt like I was going from such a supported place to the rug being pulled out from under me. Quite literally, I felt like I had all of the resources in the world to absolutely nothing and I was left to navigate it on my own. So my hope was that I would be able to be a resource and having walked through it myself, be able to relate to former athletes with the struggles that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think athletes struggle so much, former athletes, as they transition from high school to college or college to elite sports and then transitioning into retirement. So, gosh, I think it goes from, like yeah. you said, a lot of resources to absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Still having that identity centered sure. around being an athlete. Like, mm-hmm. okay, now what? Yeah. So, Katie, what are some of the struggles that you particularly notice when it comes to nutrition, body image, and that identity piece? Yeah. So, I really, of course, this is a generalization, but I really tend to see two main types of former athletes come to me or struggle. And that is either the former athlete who was an aesthetic sport athlete and Mm -hmm. was dieting and struggling with body image from the time they were competing as well. And those issues just manifested when they retired, because now they're dealing with the identity piece, they're dealing with body changes, and those feel exaggerated 
because athletes are so tuned into their bodies. I always say our body changes feel exaggerated because we have such a keen feeling as to what our body usually feels like. And so those athletes tend to really struggle with more restriction when they retire. Then we have the athletes who come from like, you know, soccer or softball or a sport where maybe their appearance was a piece of it, but it wasn't as much on display as those aesthetic sports were. And maybe they did or didn't struggle with body image when they were competing or struggle with nutrition when they were competing. And now they retire. Now they're seeing these body changes. And that's usually when the body image struggles tend to either develop or really blossom into something that they're, they're wrestling with. It's interesting because I see the one side of the equation where athletes are really struggling with restriction. And then I see the other side where these former athletes are struggling with binging because they're trying to restrict, but their body is just physiologically fighting them. So it's been interesting to navigate both sides, depending on what sport and sport culture the athlete was coming from. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's not every athlete is the same. The culture of the sport and the sport mm-hmm. they came from made a big makes a big difference. Yes. And even team and coach culture mm-hmm. makes a big sure. difference. I could have two, you know, two basketball athletes and one of them struggled and then one of them didn't when they were competing. And now they both retired and they're having their own nutrition or body image issues. But it's been really interesting to just see what these athletes went through when they were competing in the cultures they were faced with. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't ask this, but um, just the relationship with exercise and movement. I've worked with a lot of individuals that, you know, an athlete's day is so structured, right? I get up and I go to weights and then I go to class possibly. And then I have another training in the afternoon. I think relationship with exercise or movement, I know a lot of clients are like, I just don't know what to do with myself. And sometimes it's probably a little bit of both. Like, well, I can do it all the time. I don't have a plan or again, really struggling with that aspect. So what do you see with the exercise movement piece? Oh my gosh. Yes. I say there's kind of two athlete identities or traits, if you will, with exercise and it's that all or nothing and the burn to earn. So like you were saying, athletes were used to having those structured practices and practice being a certain amount of time and training being a certain amount of time. So I see athletes being like, well, I only have 30 minutes. Like what's the point that doesn't count? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so now it's like, okay, we need to redefine like 30 minutes counts or, you know, walking counts or taking a yoga class counts. It's like redefining and rediscovering like what role movement has and how that looks in life after sport, because now we do have maybe full-time jobs or families or things like that. And then that burn to earn piece is, well, I was able to eat whatever I wanted if that's the culture they came from when I was competing because I was working out so much. So in order to still do that, I need to keep working out mm-hmm. and to, to that high level. So those are kind of the two main things I see around exercise, all or nothing, trying to figure it out, like what actually counts, what's worth it, what do I like to do? That's a whole other piece. And then this burn to earn, like, well, the purpose of exercise is so that I can eat whatever I want. I have mm-hmm. to burn it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It plays into it so intricately. What do you see kind of pattern-wise specifically with nutrition? Oh, gosh. With nutrition, I see athletes jumping from diet to diet searching for structure. Mm-hmm. That is probably the, the biggest thing. Diets are so appealing to athletes because they are structured. But as we know, like the restriction of diets often ends with 
overeating or binge eating or just that weight cycling issue, which a lot of athletes then struggle with too, but they find comfort in the structure of a diet. And so that's where they're like, that, that appeal is like, oh, well, I'll just jump to paleo, whole 30, do intermittent fasting, do this, do that. Cause I have rules and structure and that's familiar to me, even if it's not serving their bodies in the way that food should. Mm-hmm. Here, Absolutely. there's a theme there. Athletes like structure. Structure. Imagine <laughs> that. Yeah. Just tell me what to do. And the thing that definitely is taken away from them when they leave a sport is, is that one of those pieces for sure. Yeah. My yeah. husband and I were watching the Olympics all this summer, and one thing that we found just crazy was the synchronized swimming and just oh. how that sport is. I remember us talking about, like, oh, my gosh, this has to be the hardest sport. <laughs> right. Like, dancing elegantly, <laughs> keeping yourself above water, and, like, being in sync. Like, and, like the whole I can't time. do any of those. And it was that, and, like, I think it was the water polo one, where they're uh-huh. just, like, treading water and then, like, fighting not to drown. Yeah. The ones where I'm like, oh, yeah. Those are crazy sports. That's why we stay above water. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you were a synchronized (laughs) swimmer. So I'm super interested about, like, your journey and the culture of that sport. And what was that like for you? And how did you get into that? I mean, that's, like, such a neat sport. But I always think about, like, I wouldn't go around here and there would be. I don't think there's any groups Mm -hmm. around in the Kansas City area that do that. Or I don't know of any. Sorry. (laughs) That's a lot of questions. (laughs) We're super interested. No, no. Yes. I I love synchronized swimming. Fun fact, it is now technically called artistic swimming, which oh, has been you. a point sure. of contention. Artistic. No, you're good. I, I still call here. it synchro, but it's weird because FINA, the governing body of all aquatic sports, decided to change it a couple of years ago, and there's been a lot of pushback. So if you're looking for like a local club team in your area, just whoever's listening, you may not find something under synchro or synchronized swimming. You might find it under artistic swimming. Good to know. Ha. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, but I, so I was a speed swimmer. I, my parents put me in the water at like six months old um, and I just loved the water. (laughs) Quite literally, I was doing mommy and me classes at six months old and I loved the water. So I progressed pretty quickly through all of the different speed swimming levels and lifeguard training. And I saw Synchro on TV. And when my family moved out to Las Vegas, we, we got a new puppy and my mom had newspapers to put down to train the puppy. And she actually saw an ad for a local synchro team that was having an open tryout. Um, I know. I know. You can't make this up. (laughs) Mm -mm. No. I was like, all the details need to be in the story, the puppy, the newspaper. Uh Um, And so we we went to the open practice and I fell in love with it and had an 11-year career. And I never looked back. Wow. Um, So that's how I got involved with synchro. (laughs) So how old were you again when you went to that first I was 11. 11. Wow. Um, Yes. Which in synchro, it's very similar to gymnastics where oftentimes you sport specialize pretty early. Mm. So 11 was actually pretty late to start. A lot of athletes Mm. start at like six or seven. Wow. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I I fell in love with it and kept going. And as much as I absolutely love the sport and have so much respect and gratitude for everything it gave me. It was also the reason for my struggles with food and body image. Mm-hmm. It's very much an appearance focused sport. There is this quote unquote look that they are drawn towards the tall, long, lean, and that's just not my body. I'm a little bit shorter. I've got a more muscular build. And so I was fighting against my body pretty much my entire career 
even when I was making the national teams being told, hey, if you don't lose weight, we're not going to swim you. Mm. And so it spiraled into a lot of unhealthy habits that carried, stayed with me into retirement and, and got worse until I was able to heal my relationship with food, exercise, body image, and and move into the space I'm in now. But it was, it's a challenging culture. Mm-hmm. And I think we're slowly starting to see a change. Like carbs were were not allowed, <laughs> just period. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see a change where let's bring carbs back into, you know, training fuel so that our athletes can be more equipped to perform better and lower risk of injuries. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happen in the synchro community. And if anybody follows you on Instagram, they'll see you're quite the baker. <laughs> yeah, I love your Instagram. You know what's so funny? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is I actually like had zero, I, not a baker. My mom would like have to walk me through all the steps when I first started baking things. And now after, I don't know, it's been like two, two and a half years of doing sweet treat Sundays. I oddly like have developed this love for baking, but I still <laughs> love a like break and bake cookie. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? So when someone is transitioning out of sport, what are some of your recommendations that can help with transitioning smoothly? I think the biggest thing would be to, and I love doing this exercise with my with my clients, is to write out what like your dream day looks like. And this can be challenging if the athlete is like, well, I don't know. My dream day has always been competing, and now I don't I don't know what that looks like. So have some fun with it. Journal out like. What do you, you know, how do you want exercise to fit in? Do you want to be able to go out and eat for fun? Do you like going out to eat? What are your relationships look like? Because oftentimes when we're competing, we don't have the time or the mental capacity or space to look and focus on those things. I know when I was competing, relationships were put on the back burner. Even Mm -hmm. my family, I was like training came first. And so to first start, like, how do you want it to look? different? Do you want it to look different now that you're into retirement? What are things that are priorities to you? Because that's really going to shape how we take a look at your nutrition, your exercise, how you structure your day. That's probably the biggest nut to crack and arguably the thing that athletes struggle with the most. So if you can start thinking about that right away, I think it's going to really allow for an easier transition other than all of a sudden you stop and you're just like, I don't know, I'm just used to practicing four to however many hours a day. That's been my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you have some resources yourself, right? Don't For you have me? a group? Mm-hmm. Or like that I... Oh, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I have a group, a group coaching program. Sorry. <laughs> Please plug yourself. <laughs> you deserve <Yeah>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I do. That's actually the first pillar of my program, P for Personalized. And if they're familiar with the power program, that's the name of my program. And that is the first module that we walk through. And what I love about the group is that you're surrounded by other former athletes who know exactly what you're going through. Something I hear so often from clients or just people in the community is, I had no idea other people struggled with this. And I I think it's becoming more open now. Like we've got so many advocates, big name athletes who are talking about it. But I think still there's that almost like, fear or embarrassment to acknowledge that there's a struggle in life after sport. So just having that safe space and that safe community that's 
what my group coaching is really about. And of course we focus on the nutrition and the body image and exercise, but it's also about just like living life after sport and doing that with community. So yeah, that is a resource, (laughs) my group coaching program. Yep. (laughs) Katie, I was going to ask you this a little bit ago, but are you finding, let's say, especially in sports with high asceticism, when an athlete has developed disordered eating issues and they transition out of sport or they decide to leave the sport, are you finding that, and I guess everybody's different, but that the eating disorder gets better or does it kind of run rapid without the structure? What are you kind of finding when someone is really struggling within their sport and transitioning out or leaving their sport for whatever reason? For the most part, it tends to get worse in Mm -hmm. my experience with with clients. And then there was a, I believe it was like a a literature review study done by Georgie Buckley, if you guys Mm -hmm. are familiar with Mm -hmm, her. mm -hmm. And it found, I I love this. I love this study. It was done in 2018. And the statistic was, you know, about 25% of current athletes are struggling with some form of disordered eating. And then when they retire, it goes all the way up from anywhere to 42 to 65%. So we do see a huge jump. Yeah. Well, I was going to I was um, going to sort of agree with that. I've worked with clients who like, you know, I thought this would get better if I left the sport and in the way the eating disorder yep. is just like, well, I'll the structure actually of the sport kind of helped them mm-hmm. maintain mm-hmm. a sense of mm-hmm. kind of holding on a <laughs> yes. bit and then leaving just kind well, of right. And the checks and balances with teammates and coaches sure. and trainers and all that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I- exactly. It's almost like they think leaving the environment will be helpful, but it's almost like that structure of the environment was keeping it at least somewhat maintained. And then when they leave, it just kind of takes over and the control piece because Oftentimes, athletes don't feel like they're able to control anything in their life when they retire. And so that's when the eating disorder voice becomes really strong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Those statistics are high. What's been interesting high. in my work, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What's been interesting in a lot of my work is so many athletes are really high-level intelligence, perfectionist, type A, and they will say, like, I can tell, like, I know this is my eating disorder voice, but I almost, like, I can't fight against it. Mm-hmm. And there's such an awareness that I think has been the most interesting to me. Like, they are so aware that they're struggling. And it's like that knowledge doesn't always breed change. Mm-hmm. And so they know that it's a problem, but they're struggling to create, to take, like, okay, I know this is an issue. I know I need to make a change, but that how is that missing piece? So that's been really interesting. There's not a lot of denial that there's an issue, at least in the clients that I'm working with, likely because they're seeking me out so they know that they're struggling. But I've just found that awareness to be so interesting with a lot of my clients. Yeah, I think the ones that are lacking awareness or maybe they have the awareness, but what they do is they just continue to be in sport. So they'll hop into them yep. being an avid runner or triathlete sure. or something, and they just keep going. They transition and going. into. They keep transitioning yeah. to the forever athlete. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. True. True. Yeah. I had a couple clients run marathons this weekend, and they that one of them was saying, like, okay, this is, like, I realize now that I was using this as, like, a crutch to go through. And so like, I'm, I'm going to just take a step away from formal training and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just going back to how food and exercise is used for that 
emotion regulation that it's really hard to, like you said, I have the awareness of it, but the change of different tools or different behaviors, gosh, is really hard. Oh yeah. So, so challenging. And I think that's where support really comes in because without support, it can almost feel like such an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. I know doing it on my own was like, I, I wish I had what I offer now. That's why I offer it because I was like, man, this would have been so much I won't say easy, but easier if I would have just had some support, someone who would have understood what I was going through in that moment. Yeah. Kitty, can you tell us a little bit more about your program? You're saying you had like four pillars of your program. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, yeah. So the power program is my my main coaching program. And the five pillars are P for personalized, O for optimize, W for work on, E for evaluate and R for rediscover. And so we kind of talked about P, which is personalized and figuring out what are your priorities and basically re-identifying yourself when you retire. The O is for optimize. And that's where we really take a look at your nutrition and what you're doing here and now and how can we make changes, small or big, to your food choices so that way they support either your activity levels or your work or whatever it is that you're doing after sport. The W is for working on, and that's working on body attunement, so hunger fullness. And I think that's probably one of the most challenging for athletes because I like to say we're so great at understanding our bodies, we're worse at listening to them. <laughs> so you might be able yeah. to understand mm-hmm. the cues, but, but actually doing what it's saying is a lot more challenging. So that's the, the W. E is for evaluate, and that's where we really evaluate your beliefs around nutrition, and it comes into what, like we talked about sport culture, what sport culture did you come from? What were the beliefs that you were told growing up in sport? And a lot of the times there's quite a bit of unlearning that has to happen. And then the R is for rediscover and redefine working out. What role does that play in your life now? And how does that look different than it did when you were competing? So those are the five pillars, kind of a quick breakdown of the program structure. Love it. So, Kitty, towards the end, we always ask every interviewee how they live out the fit philosophy. So how do you balance performance? We know she can balance because she does artistic (laughs) swimming. (laughs) Performance, health, intellect, and having a little time for self. Oh, I will say that the balance is so challenging. The biggest thing is that I have a great support system, and they really help to keep me in the right frame of mind. So anytime I feel like maybe my life is swimming out of balance and I'm putting too much focus on one thing or the other, they kind of bring me back. The other thing that I do is I do a lot of journaling, and I started that in college, and I've kind of continued it post-sport and into life after, and that just allows me to kind of refresh and get a good gauge on where I'm at. I know so many other former athletes are doing multiple things. They have their hands in multiple buckets. And so just journaling out and re-identifying like what's your what's important to you, what are your priorities, and coming back to that helps to keep me kind of grounded and focused on what is most important. So yeah, it's, I will say it's so challenging though. So having a support system is second to none if you're fortunate enough to have that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Katie, thanks so much for being on. I love that you're working with this population. And again, love your Instagram. So people <laughs> go give Katie a follow. And thanks for being on, Katie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Have a good one. Have a great week, Katie. Bye, Queens.
Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.